3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: So I was at the gym yesterday working out because I'm better than you, and um, and the and gal was wearing the inevitable yoga pants, and I was not uh, staring at her hind end. She had uh, well, congratulations, kind of a, a long looseish shirt. Well, I knew you were going to go there, so I thought I'd preemptively stop you from accusing me of, of being a perv, a I, gym perv. I was not actually. Then. Oh please, I know you better than anyway. Uh, so, but I was contemplating. They're so tight everywhere. And God bless the person who invented yoga pants. As an admirer of the female form, because I will occasionally take a glance. Uh, I'm human. I think anyway, they're
5: warm uh, for comfort, aren't they? Isn't that the reason people mostly wear them?
4: Precisely, yeah. And I just I don't like tight all over me. Uh, I would much rather have loose soccer shorts on and a loose t-shirt, that sort of thing. Um, but women obviously love them. My wife loves them. Everybody wears them. You're mentioning joggers, whatever those are. Brought that to mind. And I thought, well, you know, I'd kind of like to see what it's like. It, maybe it is comfy to get to just a little gentle pressure all over the legs and stuff. But then I realized that the main problem, that's, of course, you know, the package. you got to somehow not walk around looking like you're some sort of uh, a, a guy from the 1400s with a codpiece, which was like the look how big my package clothing of the time was. Um, so men cannot wear yoga pants. Can we really
5: joggers are halfway between pants and uh, and sweats. They're kind of a loose fitting pant. They have pockets and they're usually tight at the bottom. Those are
4: joggers. Okay, yeah, I've seen plenty of those. Yeah. But again, the the tight pant is not open to any man who's not comfortable with his genitals more or less being on display. Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day,
5: a side tangent, and it was uh, it was some podcast I was listening to, and it was after the shooting, uh just talking about the decay of culture, American culture, and you get you get beaten up a lot if you uh, if you bring that up as being some old fogey or or or, or
4: something, or but, a white supremacist.
5: But uh, and and you know, I don't know how all this fits together, but. The decay of American culture from you know people dressing up for lots of different things, whether it's to fly in a plane or go out to eat, or you know you see the pictures from way back in the day, and every every guy's in a suit with a hat, and every woman's dressed nice, often with a hat too. I don't know why hats played such a role, but I mean we just we. There were a lot of things that were of just a a, a a level of we took more care. And now we're really more into the let's just be comfortable sweats and flip flops at the restaurant at church on the plane uh, at, you know, always all the time. And does that all fit together in any sort of um, cohesion or acting like we care about society and all that stuff? I'm not convinced that it does, but I'm certainly lean more toward being convinced that it that it that it, it, it matters.
4: Yeah, I, I, I totally see your point. And I would be, uh, you know, uh, absolutely in that group of people who, back in the day, maybe thought, you know, this is silly. Yeah, Why all absolutely. this artifice? Why are There's no reason. I might as well be comfortable. I'll do just as well at this and I'll enjoy the food just as much, blah, blah, blah. But I think, you know, you almost have to try things. Uh, and, and see how they come out. I think, and, and it has to do with the unspoken messages we send. I think in getting dressed up for, say, a night at a nice steakhouse, which now only hedge fund billionaires can afford, but you, you remember back when you could eat a steak? Um, going out to a nice dinner, you would get dressed up a, a, as a message to the person you're with, uh, the other people at the restaurant, the, 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 the waiter, whatever. This is important to me. I am going to prepare for this and, and indicate to you that uh, this is special. And, and we all exchanged those messages and it was, it, it was like this, something like the social compact. Right. It was, a, it, a courteousness comes from the court of King whatever, uh, that word. But, and that's obviously too much. You're flouncing around with your makeup and, and your giant dress and whatever. Sure, there's a the, limit. Right. But, now we're, like, stripped down to I don't give a damn all the time. Right. It's had weird, difficult to measure or even describe effects on how we all feel and act. There's something that goes along with that.
5: And my youngest son, it's funny, if we're going to go to, and, I mean, if we're going to go to anywhere to eat, he considers it kind of fancy because we don't really go out to eat very much, and he gets a button-down shirt and puts it on. And so and so I make sure I do, and then we just, you know, it's not like we're getting dressed up, but we're not wearing flip-flops and sweats and it makes the occasion a little more special and you act different. You act differently when you're acting like this is a special occasion and I don't know. I'm not positive this all fits together, but I'm I definitely think it does. In a lot of different ways. And, you know, coarse language in public lots of di- I think all those things fit together to a more polite society that gets along
4: better I don't know. It's very complicated, obviously. I think the word formal fits into this. Not just like formal-formal, but even semi-formal. It has to do with good form. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to do this in the right way. Because I think we all need to do these things in the right way. And now there's no right way, and if you even suggest there's a right way, you're a fascist. I can't be wrong about this, as I'm thinking about people
5: dressing up to go to a restaurant. I gotta believe there's less likelihood of people throwing F bombs around if you're a little dressed up than if you're still wearing your flip flops and shorts and t shirt from the lake or the golf course. I just gotta believe there's less coarse language. That yeah, goes I don't with know. a little better maybe I'm wrong.
4: I don't know. That might be generational more than anything. Could but, be. Uh, I don't I could, know. I could be wrong too, yeah.
5: I came across this headline which is just stupid that it even exists as a headline, but Al Roker shares how he recently lost 45 pounds in just two months. Is there anything good that comes out of losing 45 pounds in two months? That's got to be horrible for you.
4: There's not a doctor nor a nutritionist on earth that would recommend that. And what percentage of those people, Joe, gain that weight back? All of them. All of them. Oh, wait. Was that a trick question? No, it's all of them plus another 20 pounds. That's the correct answer. Oh, really? Is that what usually happens? Oh yeah, you usually end up ha- uh, heavier than you were. So I'm, it, I'm the lowest weight I've been since 2019. By the way, this morning.
5: Wow, in three not by, years, lowest weight not in three years, <laughs> not
4: by a well, lot. But still,
5: that's that's amazing. Yeah, lowest weight to, in three years. Trying
4: to trim up a little bit. Really? What yeah. have you? And what have you it's been bikini doing? Bikini season. And what have you been doing to get there? Eating less and exercising more. Wait, I, I can say that slower if you want to jot that down. <laughs> <laughs> it's Michael. You took your shoes off before you got
5: on the scale. First time in three years. Powerful laxatives. (laughs) That's what it was. (laughs) Um, I want you to hear this. We ought to get this on the air. This is a sex robot that you're about to hear. No. You can connect the AI that you've created in the app to the robot and carry on the conversation with her that way. Once you've got that loaded and you hit chat, You she just comes to life.
0: Could you came back so fast, baby. I'm glad you came back that fast. Why, baby,
6: ten minutes without you seems like an eternity.
5: So, in case you couldn't understand that, listening to the radio, this ridiculously hot robot woman, um, uh, because of modern technology, and this guy's controlling her with an iPad, had her saying... I missed you. It's tough being away from you. You came back so fast. I missed you. You know, that kind of stuff, which I, I don't, I don't find this sexy or I find it a combination of terrifying and horribly sad. (laughs) And I mean, just sickening. It's just like the saddest thing I've ever heard of in my life.
4: A couple of comments. Number one is a semi professional humorist. Uh, The term sex robot is 34% less amusing than sex bot. So I will be using (laughs) that term. (laughs) Secondly, why is my sex bot Welsh? I can't understand anything she's saying. Yeah, I don't know what the accent is. Does that make her more
5: mysterious and like you're a cooler guy because you're is a sex bot? So you're a cooler guy because your sex bot has got foreign background (laughs) as an accent. accent
4: some really pg-13 jokes to make right now but we're up against a break so i'll probably be saved from my own poor judgment
5: seriously there's nothing sexy about that it's just the saddest thing i've ever heard of in my life
6: armstrong and getty jack armstrong and joe
2: getty the armstrong
6: and getty show
5: Listen to this, guys. Uh, Apple just announced a new feature that will allow people to edit and unsend messages. Ooh. When they heard, Apple users were like, "Finally, what the duck took you so long?" You know? <laughs> yep. You can now unsend messages. Uh, now everyone gets to play that fun game. Did they see it before I
3: deleted it? Yeah. <laughs>
5: Oh, boy. So, like oh. texts, you can unsend a text. People have been wanting that. I've been wanting that for a very long time. But Jimmy Fallon hits the nail on the head. Uh, the old intimate text to one's partner accidentally set to one's work team. Mm, Oof. Now, that's only embarrassing. Yes. That's only embarrassing. Yes. You know, the, 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 the. <laughs> I don't even want to give some of the examples I've got, but. Uh, you know, it can go much worse than that. Like, well, how about serious the... damage
4: to, to, to people and relationships? Let's let's reverse it then. The harshly critical of someone on the work team text sent not to spouse but to work team. Perfect example. <laughs> there you go. Whoops. Because because you're
5: because and this is what happens. To everybody, you're texting back and forth with your spouse. You're texting back and forth with your boss. Right. And in your mind, you're still texting, you know, you were just doing your wife, you're still doing that, no, he's sent a text in the inter- and you got on the wrong track. That's what happens to people, and apparently now Apple's going to let you delete that, but the question is, did you do it before they saw it?
4: Then <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh. hmm. somebody will come up with some software that, like, captures all your texts before they're deleted or something. Oh, No.
4: Or my God. So then you don't know whether you need to apologize or not.
5: Texting didn't exist when I drank.
4: Thank God.
5: But um, the waking up in the morning, I got to believe this happens to a lot of people who drink. Wake up in the morning and see texts and think, ah, no, what? I don't love her. Oh. (laughs) Why did I say I love her? Oh. (laughs) Or whatever. Um, Yeah. And then you did just quickly grab that before they get up. Yeah. Some of the new stuff that came out with Apple yesterday. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the economy to kick off our two target with uh, taking another hit today with an announcement they make that made that is just the reality of our current economic climate that we should all be aware of. Burger King. So this is Pride Month and you got all kinds of pride parades and stuff going on everywhere. Is that right?
4: I'm yeah. I right. So if you uh, ever won an award, you should be proud of it. No, if you no, it's have not it is uh, all. lovely kids, be proud of that. Be proud to be an American. That is not what it is. No? So Burger King's on board with Pride Month. Why uh, Does everybody get a month now? They're only 12 months. We need to have a hearing. All right. We got 12 groups. Can you have a month? That's it. Because it was Asians and Pacific Islanders last month. I know that because my daughter, is uh, is uh, her partner is of Asian descent. And, uh, he was making constant jokes about, we went to visit them. Uh, hey, hey, don't criticize me. It's my month. Oh, really? That's pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. And oh, it was black, black,
5: black History Month the month before that. So, right. Yeah. So that's yeah. three year months. So that's, that's yeah. a, that's a third, a quarter of the months are already taken. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, for Pride Month, Burger King will be offering Pride Whopper with two equal buns, either two top buns or two bottom buns, until June twentieth. No to promote equal it. love and equal rights, the company said stop in it. an Instagram post.
4: You're making that I S- am up. not. Yeah, you are.
5: <laughs> I am not. They, uh, they they Instagrammed it out themselves, the corporation of Burger King. Quoting one person, as a gay person, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen, and I
4: don't think I'll ever stop laughing. But that's funny. Two top buns or two bottom buns. <laughs> You know, uh, and and look at these things the way you want. I have had the privilege of having friends of every single description, coworkers, uh, collaborators on creative projects of every, again, every sort of human being you can imagine. And I've had more than one gay people uh, for a gay person forward me the meme that says, why is the only time I'm ashamed of being gay on at the pride parade? Oh, wow. that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good question. Well, don't be. You know, every brand of human being has its I think you, know, you, you got no responsibility for that.
5: I think we have a joke about this that we're going to play later, but a, a Taser developer said this week it's working to build drones armed with electric stunning weapons that could fly into schools and help prevent the next Uvalde, Sandy Hook, or Columbine, they claim.
4: Well, that doesn't sound at all like a scene from a dystopian sci-fi movie. <laughs> So wow, How the, Blade Runner is that? Uh, many experts. drones flying around zapping people with electrics, uh, electric chairs. Ow! Ow! In theory, the shooter and not your kid. Well, well, right, yeah, but how uh, straight out of uh, what was the uh, the Chinese drone that said "Abandon your soul's desire for freedom"?
5: Zap. Um. Right. A uh, Barry Friedman, a New York University law professor, who I probably agree with nothing on about, but he said this particular idea is crackpot. It's dangerous and fantastical. We've begged the company not to do it. Uh, I don't know. It's all in the implementation, but out-of-the-box well, thinking? Well,
4: yeah, yeah, I, you know, that's right. There are no bad ideas. Uh, I, I, Oh, yeah, sure, well, yeah, why not? Sure.
3: A
5: disturbed individual shows up at a school with an assault weapon. Someone in the school hits a panic button, and that button opens a live stream to a public safety dispatcher. And it activates a pre-positioned drone that's been just sitting there passively on a hallway ceiling. Then the drone rotors up. It immediately deploys into the scene. And there, it could incapacitate that threat. This response could bring a situation under control in a matter of seconds. Well, we all want to do something different, obviously. Uh, but so the drone just hovers there, monitoring everybody all the time?
4: No, no, no. It it it, it sits there immobile and unseen. Okay. Then it rotors up, as he said. Okay. Um, and then it goes the and in. tases the shooter. You know, uh, it's funny. I, I've warmed to the idea, to my own surprise. Um, l- closed doors would be an uh, insurmountable uh, problem. So uh, yes, you need one you, in every room. Yeah, you've
5: immediately foiled it. Uh, there is another issue, and I won't get off on this. There, there, There is another option. You get uh, cops who are willing to go in and confront the shooter when they get to the school. Would help a lot. But I won't go off on that.
4: Yeah. But, yeah. you know, people are thinking outside the box, so that's cool. That is good. I don't want to be knee-jerk rejection guy.
6: Armstrong and Getty.
0: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
6: Abraham Lincoln Radio
2: Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong
5: and Joe Getty. And now he is Armstrong
0: and Getty. Now they're ghosting Kamala Harris like a bad Tinder date. They're pretending she doesn't exist. In effect, in doing that, the Democratic Party is embracing white supremacy. How well? Democratic Party leaders plan to deny Harris a job that she has earned as Democratic nominee and replace her in the next cycle with yet another, wait for it now, white man. Let's try Beto. How about Mayor Pete? Notice the theme here? Pale and male, Is there forever telling us. Because it turns out diversity isn't actually our strength. Equity and inclusion are fine if you're hiring middle managers at a big company. You would never hire a middle-aged white guy at Citibank. That's probably illegal. Yet somehow, the most anti-white political party in the English-speaking world is suddenly pushing another white man for president. How does that work?
5: <laughs> Tucker Carlson's show officially endorsed Kamala Harris uh, last night. That's that's his whole angle, <laughs> saying that she's being unfairly treated as the woman as the world's first America's first black vice president. Um, The reality of this whole thing is, and I've uh, read enough now from lefty journalists, including that book, This Shall Not Pass. And this is just just political fact. This is just the reporting in the news. This is not, like, my wishes or partisan spin or anything. The Democratic Party has no use for her as a presidential candidate. And they also don't want, David Axelrod wrote about this in the New York Times over the weekend. They also don't want Joe Biden to run. So it's pretty interesting. I mean, if you're just a fan of politics, like I am, just like as a sport, not even getting into, you know, what policies I like or whatever, just as a sport, it's pretty damned interesting. The current sitting president and vice president, that party doesn't want either one of those people for a second term. That's, that's I,
4: never happened before. It's never even
5: come close to happening before.
4: And we're not talking about, you know, they lack the usual support numbers you see. No, it's vehement. The Democrats vehemently don't want them to run, for good reason.
5: And, and on the right, things are wide open. Does Trump run or not? Uh, New York Times laid out 15 candidates that appear to be making all the moves. On the right, Republicans appear to be doing all the things that you would do if you're going to run for president. And it's all the numbers the names you'd suspect. Pompeo and Chris Christie and Mike Pence. And um, uh, the woman Ron DeSantis, I, of course. Obviously, Ron DeSantis. He's probably at the very top. But there, there are fifteen Nikki on the right
4: Nikki Haley, of course.
5: And uh, if Trump runs or not, most of them say they're running anyway. So who knows? So it's as wide open on both sides as it is maybe ever been. It's like we have a chance to chance. I make it sound like it's positive. I don't know if it's positive or negative. But there's an the, things could change dramatically in a very short period of time, for both of these parties to pick a direction. Sure,
4: yeah, and then change again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, uh, Rich Lowry, who's fantastic, wrote this piece about Kamala Harris that I thought was just brilliant. Uh, If you sit through it, we will reward you with a montage of Kamala's greatest hits. Wow. Wow. Okay, I like the way and you do man, that. Actually, so eat your vegetables and
5: you can have dessert. That's what Joe's you'll saying.
4: Eat, no, honestly, you'll like this, too. It's, it's pretty amusing. So he opens by saying that uh, the media taboo is finally off about talking about Joe Biden's age. And and whether he's going to run in 2024. And I've just been amused as hell as uh, people pretending uh, that, oh, of course he's going to run for re-election. And Kamala Harris is definitely with him. And if not, if he decides not to run, decides not to run. No. If you're in the grave, you haven't decided anything. No, anyway. that was the, If
5: you didn't catch that, and I just referenced it. If you didn't catch that over the weekend, David Axelrod, the guy who was Barack Obama's campaign manager... Who is the one who chose Joe Biden to be vice president? He said Joe Biden shouldn't run. That's a mm-hmm. big that's that's the first major top level Democrats saying, No, we're not doing this again.
4: So uh reading on with Richard Lowry, uh that should put a lantern on another looming problem for the Democrats, which I've been yelling about for months. Uh, waiting in the wings is a deeply unpopular office holder who makes Biden look like a prospective electoral juggernaut by comparison. Democrats can be forgiven for considering the possibility of only Kamala Harris standing between them and the return of Donald Trump and telling themselves, well, maybe 80 is the new 75, or Biden's always been gaff prone, so it's a few more gaffes between friends, or he campaigned from the basement in 2020, maybe he can do the same thing in 2024. Uh, Harris is the single best argument for Democrats trying to prop up Biden no matter what. She's been a disaster as vice president, even as she's done nothing particularly noteworthy, either good or bad. She's simply a political black hole whose abysmal ratings reflect not just Biden's troubles, but her own profound inherent flaws as a political figure. Here's where I <laughs> it really gets going. Kamala Harris has the authenticity of Hillary Clinton, the charm of Al Gore and the common touch of Adlai Stevenson. Well, Come I, on the, now. The latter being a bit of an obscure reference.
5: Yeah, can't, can't relate to that reference, but the other ones are certainly good.
4: Yeah. She could have been engineered in a lab as a convictionless opportunist, lacking basic political horse sense. And she more or less was. She, I like that. She has no convictions. She's an opportunist with no political instincts. But how, how could she possibly have risen to this height? Well, he explains, she came up in a California where the dominance of TV ads makes retail politicking all but unnecessary, and internal Democratic politics is largely based on identity politics. Compared to her, Biden really is middle class Joe. The contrast with Chuck Schumer, another Democratic leader from a deep blue state, is instructive. Schumer had a tough statewide race against a Republican within memory and is aware that not all voters are extremely online woke progressives. Harris could have run as an ideologically interesting, tough-minded former prosecutor, uh, a little like Eric Adams in the New York uh, City mayoral primaries. Instead, she got sucked into the idea that the winning lane would be a, a couple of ticks to the right of Bernie Sanders. She co-sponsored his as Medicare for All, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, his point being that she's just utterly useless as a candidate, and Democrats know it, and they're desperate to move on. Uh, Just everybody's afraid to say it because of the way politics has always worked, I guess. Yeah. She still has enough power, what, to punish them for saying it out
5: loud? They didn't say why, but in that book I keep referencing, this will not pass. It's all going to come out right after the election. I guess they just don't want the distraction before the midterm election in November. But all this is going to play out as soon as that's over. The knives will be out. All this will be out in the open. It will be obvious that the, the party has no use for either one of them, and that yeah. will start immediately after the election. Uh, David Axelrod himself, in uh, the 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 the, t- I think it was his tweet over the weekend, said Joe Biden would be closer to ninety than to eighty when he left office with another term, and that just doesn't work.
4: No, no, it's it's bizarre if you think about it. It's crazy. The other end of it is Kamala Harris
5: has a thirty eight percent approval rating in San Francisco. Yeah.
6: So come on.
5: Yeah,
4: yeah. All right, you earned it, folks. You earned it. Clip 79, Michael. Let's hear it.
6: We all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. And so what we all experienced is on an electric school bus, on an electric bus, no exhaust. No diesel smell. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. We must together, work together, to see where we are. Yes. Where we are headed, but also see it as a moment, yes, to together. It is the perspective of of a woman who grew up a a, a black child in America, who was also a Prosecutor who also has a mother who arrived here at the age of 19 from India who also, you know, likes hip hop. (laughs) Like, what do you want (laughs) to (laughs) know?
4: Wow. Wow.
6: Armstrong and Getty.
0: The big take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
5: Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
3: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Jack
4: Armstrong and Joe Getty. I found you. Let's
3: go Brandon.
4: The Armstrong and Getty show. I touched on this this piece of writing by Adrian Gatti a few days ago. I can't remember when exactly. Uh, the title is, Are Schools Contributing to Skyrocketing ADHD Diagnoses? And it is such an interesting uh, bit of writing. And we'll post it or repost it dot com, where he talks about the history of kindergarten and how early childhood education, for most of its history, was literally you know to translate the german phrase it's a child's garden it's an opportunity to play explore to look at butterflies to run around to hear stories not so that the reading comprehension can be tested but just to hear a story because stories in- enliven the soul and make you want to learn more and make you curious and that sort of thing and uh and the story opens with this uh This child who's being tested for ADHD and the the forms and the tests and the diagnosis and blah, blah, blah. And then he reveals in paragraph three, the child is five years old. And one section of it is entitled diagnosing the child instead of the instruction. And and he makes the point that... um, uh, back in the earlier days of childhood education, these kids wouldn't be diagnosed with ADHD, not only because modern psychiatry didn't exist, because they would never be placed in a situation where it would ever manifest it stel- itself. Right. Which is not to deny that it is occasionally a significant problem for individual children. On the other hand, I have maintained for a very, very long time, having been close to this, uh, that is, it's it's way overdiagnosed. Uh, in response to that, we got a note from, I can't remember if we're allowed to use her name. Why don't we just say uh, Aileen Anonymous? I mean, I'm it's, it's longish, but I just thought it was so amazing. Um, and we're going to get to, at some point, I hope, this half hour, this new loyalty oath that you have to take to teach in California colleges, community colleges, I think it is, um, where you have to sign on to the new woke ideology. And schools have become so political and so perverse, and I don't think a lot of parents get that, or they think it's just the extra-dramatic uh, right-wing talk radio ranting. I'm, I'm not trying to do that here. I'm trying to protect kids. So here's the note from uh, Alien Anonymous. Uh, we were thrilled when our six-year-old son was given a coveted first-grade spot at a highly regarded charter school. And we're pro-charter schools around here. He'd had a positive experience in both French preschools and American kindergarten. They were uh, stationed overseas there for a while. So we are completely unprepared for the barrage of calls from the principal that would ensue. This non-exhaustive list of the types of offenses that got him sent to the principal. So again, after great experiences um, in, in previous schools, uh, the six-year-old all of a sudden is constantly being sent to the principal. Here are some of the offenses. Throwing his lunch bag in the air and catching it running on the blacktop, going up the stairs two steps at a time. His friend pretending that his bright yellow penguin-shaped plastic lunch chiller was an ice gun, standing with one foot partially inside the classroom before the teacher arrived. And the only one that actually merited a call from the principal, getting involved in a fight on the playground. But don't get me started on the playground. No running on the blacktop. No running on the grass when it's wet. Yep. No... no climbing on the monkey bars I believe no this no games of tag because it's quote too violent yep. at one point they even banned soccer at recess because it was deemed too violent there were dozens there were the dozens of emails back and forth with his teacher about how sometimes he didn't finish the endless stream of worksheets she'd hold out and how he had a hard time sitting still and staying quiet again this child is six years old needless to say his teacher the principal and school counselor were all aggressively pushing to us to get him tested for adhd and put him on meds so that he would be quote more compliant in the classroom but and this part is critical it's always presented under the guise that they are his support team and they desperately want to help him achieve his best in fact that's the only thing they want but they just can't do that if he's not going to sit still and be quiet We'd tell him he doesn't have an inability to concentrate, that he'll sit for hours and complete a massive Lego project. He just gets bored at school. No, you'll see, they'll retort. The test will show that he suffers from ADHD, and the meds will change his comportment overnight like magic. Trust them, they know. Look how highly rated their school is.
5: Well, that's really Um, interesting, mentioning the Lego thing. I wonder if that could become a test for this sort of thing, because I have a similar situation where... Clearly, if you can spend an hour and a half working on a long, complicated Lego project and stick with it, that's a sign of something.
4: Uh, yes, it absolutely is. Um, I would later learn that the parents of most of the boys in the class were under the same pressure. Uh, you know, as long as you brought that up, I-, I will tell you this. One of the reasons I'm so passionate about uh, about this topic is that this, uh, this email could be describing me as a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight, was, nine, and ten-year-old. That little boy was you. I uh, I would never say anything that jivey, Jack, but yeah, that's more more or less what I was driving at. Uh, my I remember my mom saying to me in my early-ish teen years, might have been toward the beginning of high school, she said, uh, Joe, uh, you, you seem to have never-ending energy and concentration for things you're interested in, and none at all for things you're not interested in. <laughs> And she was absolutely right. She might not have said not at all. She probably said very little because my mom, God rest her soul, was a very gentle and and kind person. Um, But she was absolutely right. And honestly, it's one of the most important things anybody ever said to me. Because uh, though my self-discipline is different, I almost said better, but it's just different than it used to be. um, I realized she was right and that I'd better fashion my life around the things I'm passionate about. Because I would not be able to fake my way through a workday. It would be impossible for me. Mm. And so I, you know, I made certain decisions based on that. But I absolutely um, was the little boy who could not sit still unless I was being challenged. Endless repetitions of things I already figured out. Oh, it was torturous for me. And I, I, no, and I 100% would have been diagnosed with something or other. Um, Anyway, and put on a drug, and who knows how that affects you the rest of your life. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, back to this absolutely wonderful and and troubling email. Within a matter of months, our previously very happy little boy was made to feel like he was, quote, bad at school, no. his words, and that he was a bad kid. It broke my heart to drop him off and see his little body slump down with impending doom as he approached the school building each morning. Bottom line, their pedagogy simply can't cope with normal, energetic six-year-old boys, especially bright ones who suffer mainly from what they see as uselessly repetitive work. Amen, sister. Amen. We had no intention of putting our son on their ADHD conveyor belt, but we weren't going to leave him there miserable to fight the system either. We pulled him out of that prestigious charter school and put him in a private school that champions old-fashioned values. Kids are allowed to run free at recess to make up their own games and hierarchies. They get dirty. Heck, the playground even has old-school metal climbing frames, and occasionally kids do get hurt so they learn to be more careful the next time around if children are getting unruly in class teachers send them out to do laps around the schoolyard and if children misbehave they'll actually be disciplined This past week, our son finished fifth grade there with high academic honors, and more than one of his teachers has told us he's the brightest kid they've worked with in their decades of teaching. He's flourished in that environment where they understand that kids need to burn off energy and that many children, especially little boys, are simply not built to sit still and keep quiet for hours on end. So I couldn't agree more with the pediatrician who wrote that we need to be diagnosing the schools instead of the children. Except I'd add that his notion should be expanded well beyond kindergarten into the upper elementary school years. I often wonder, especially whether, whenever it's revealed that the latest school shooter has spent most of his young lifetime on ADHD drugs, or mm. we hear about the latest college student to OD on fentanyl-laced pills that they thought were cheap Adderall for every imaginative, energetic child like our son. How many are out there whose parents trusted that system and needlessly medicated that a perfectly normal kid because the school said they were problematic? How much creativity and inventiveness have been snuffed out of the last generation in the name of quietly completing worksheet after worksheet after or worksheet ad infinitum end of rant
5: yeah well maybe we're we don't
4: preparing. give out an email of the year but if we did that might be
5: it maybe we're preparing uh, a generation of workers to do jobs that are filling out worksheet after worksheet after worksheet since that's a lot of what people end up doing now um yeah that the, you never hear me stand up for this but uh the reason for a lot of that stuff is just where we are with lawyers they they don't they don't let kids run on the grass if it rained yesterday, not because they 're mean because the lawyers told them if somebody slips and falls we 're going to get sued for eight million dollars, so don 't let the kids run on the grass or play on the
4: monkey bars or doing any of those things which is
5: just insane.
4: You combine that with a I don't know 25 30 year trend of pathologizing the legitimate the healthy behavior of little boys who are yeah. built to move, they're gifted with enormous amounts of energy by God or or nature or uh, evolution or whatever you want to call it and and the extremely female centric view of education is that there's something wrong with those little boys, they should sit still and be quiet and it's obscene it's a crime
6: Armstrong and Getty
4: The big take from
0: Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world
1: We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening what it means and why it matters every afternoon I'm Sarah Holder I'm Salia Mosen